This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. How important is it to preserve a heritage? Preserving a legacy is not often considered in our current context very often. But we should remember that we are stewards of this moment in time, and history will evaluate the quality of that stewardship. In Nehemiah chapter 7, God's man at this moment is calling his people to preserve the legacy with which they had been entrusted. Protecting this city in Nehemiah 7 is about infinitely more than keeping the enemy out. It's about taking pride in what God has given you, about the miraculous things that he's done in your midst. The first three verses of Nehemiah 7 read, When the wall had been rebuilt and I had the doors installed, the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. Then I put my brother Hanani in charge of Jerusalem along with Hananiah, commander of the forces, because he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I said to them, Do not open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is hot, and let the doors be shut and securely fastened while the guards are on duty. Station the citizens of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some at their homes. Nehemiah 7 recounts for us the continued organization of the people following the wall's completion. But before we dive into that project and what it means for the people, we need to stop and consider all that had transpired over the last couple of months. For all intents and purposes, this story began with Nehemiah, who was an affluent and well-compensated government official in the house of King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer to the king, meaning that he feasted and drank sumptuously of the finest goods within the realm. This job, as a royal taste tester, if you will, was as crucial as it was easy. Yet Nehemiah is burdened for the remnant of Israel struggling to survive nearly a thousand miles away from the fortress of Susa, the same summer home that Esther once occupied. When Nehemiah's brother Hanani, the same one mentioned here in chapter 7, returns from a trip to see how the people fared, Nehemiah was quick to inquire of his brother about the state of his people. Nehemiah's heart breaks when Hananiah tells him that the people and the walls are broken down. He spends days weeping in repentance before the God of Israel. But that repentance is soon to turn into a burden a burden that Nehemiah cannot shake. He would go and ask what he could do for the people. So when Nehemiah enters the king's presence in an attitude of mourning, after days of repentance, fasting, and prayer, he does so at significant risk to his job, reputation, and even his life. Yet God honored his desire to do something about the problem. The king gave him everything he wanted and needed to rebuild the city's walls. Nehemiah clarifies his agenda here is the fame of God among the nations, 
and the protection of God's people against her enemies. You see, the broken walls were a reproach to the God who had done so much to restore these people from the consequences of their own sinful idolatry. Generations earlier, Artaxerxes' father Xerxes had granted Esther anything she wanted as it related to the Jews. And even before her, Darius had given the people an incredible opportunity to go back and rebuild the temple. Clearly, God was behind all of this. Nehemiah also knew full well the threats and intimidations of the surrounding people who had themselves been transplanted into the region generations earlier. You see, just as the Jews had been taken to Babylon, other people had been taken from their homeland and resettled in the area where the Jews used to live. And now they all claimed the land as their own that once belonged to the people of Judah before the Babylonian exile. Nehemiah knew that the fame of God and the protection of the people were at stake in the rebuilding of this wall. It represented so much more than a wall. It was about restoring the city of God, the once majestic inhabitants of the Jehovah amid his people. If God were indeed in their midst, he would not reside amid the rubble and brokenness that served as a chronic reminder of their failures. With every stone, the people were reminded of what once was. And Nehemiah knew that he would face an uphill battle because of the antagonism of men like Geshem, Sanballat, and Tobiah. These men utilized everything from ridicule, gossip, rumors, threats, espionage, and outright violence to discredit Nehemiah and derail the work. This resistance was a constant source of frustration and discouragement, and yet it never stopped Nehemiah from pursuing the plans of God. God had clearly ordained this work despite the resistance. He had given the people a mind to work, the resources necessary to accomplish that work, the authority to mobilize the people for that work, and the means to achieve that work. God was with them despite the antagonism of the enemy. Then came the land dispute and the famine and the injustice and the inequity of Nehemiah 5. And Nehemiah's sensible solution thwarted disaster and brought the people to an amenable solution. At the end of Nehemiah 6, we learn that the wall has now been completed and the enemy's confidence has melted in the sunlight of God's victory. The surrounding peoples who had once claimed this land as their own were themselves intimidated by the work of God in the city of David. Now, if I were Nehemiah, I might have been tempted at this point to boast in the victory that was the wall's completion. It was an act of God that they even accomplished it with all the rubble of their old lives around their feet. Anyone who has tried to build on the foundation of a previous building has found that work to be tough sledding, and yet Nehemiah found a way. But instead of celebrating, Nehemiah moves immediately towards preserving. Nehemiah demands that the gatekeepers protect the walls of the city. Now these men were responsible for the temple. But now their jurisdiction had been, at least for the time being, remanded to the entire city. They were to protect the whole town, 
not just the temple. Nehemiah calls on all the Levites and singers to fill the gaps in the ranks and to protect God's city at all costs from those who might seek to attack her. Nehemiah entrusts the city's care into the capable hands of his brother, the same one that years earlier burdened his heart for this homeland, a homeland that they now protect together against the intimidating threats of the neighboring peoples. The text says that the Lord put in Nehemiah's heart to number the people. Now this vital record of who's left and who returned played a tremendous role in land allocation and the preservation of history. With a few minor discrepancies, this narrative mirrors what is said in Ezra chapter 2. All of this is tremendously important for what happens next. Because part of the reason the city was vulnerable to attack was that few people lived in the city. Instead, they all settled in the quiet, comfortable suburbs. Nehemiah wants to number them according to their land and where they were initially settled to call them back to the region that was theirs. In the days ahead, he will ask some of them to move back into the city to help protect it. But for now, he needs to know where these people came from. And in doing so, he stirs their hearts again toward their heritage and the once glorious city that now needs to be protected again. Now, as we seek to apply this story, there's much to learn here from Nehemiah's organization, his determination, his focus, and his grit. He does not quit. He does what is necessary to accomplish the task. To draw on the picture here, what if we saw the church of the living God, the new Jerusalem, as it were, as worthy of being protected and defended? What if we were as quick to our brother's aid as we were to criticize them? Nehemiah wanted these people to feel that they were a part of something bigger than themselves, something worth protecting, a heritage, a history of God's faithfulness to his people. Or what if we saw ourselves in the same light? We have a name and a legacy worth protecting. One of the greatest tragedies of the people of God today is that we rarely know our own history. We don't see ourselves as living in this moment standing on the shoulders of men and women who have sacrificed homes, futures, fortunes, and their very lives to defend the gospel that we so pitifully surrender. We need to realize that the heritage of Christianity and the name of our God in the eyes of the nations is worth defending, worth preserving, worth protecting. These people lived in a godless secular culture who could not understand their devotion to God and his city. I wonder how we are viewed in the eyes of this godless culture. We often spend more time fitting in than preserving what is meant to stand out in our culture. We are called to conserve God's glory and fame in the world. And that means protecting one another rather than shooting at one another. It means being ready to fight against the enemy that threatens to attack us. It might even mean forsaking the cushy suburbs to get into the streets of the inner city to take back the fame of God in a world that has lost its way. May we be as determined, focused, and devoted as Nehemiah was in his day. 
May we refuse to celebrate the victories while ignoring the clear and present dangers that seek to destroy the name of Jesus in the world around us. So Jesus, help us today to realize the heritage of faith with which we have been entrusted. May we defend your name and proclaim your fame amid a godless culture devoid of the light that you have given us. May we let that light shine. May we protect your church. May we live lives of integrity. And may you be proud of how we manage your name and your fame at this moment in our history. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.